and say, oh, Dad, Dad, you should be so sad you lost your parents. Yeah, I am. But look at the transmission that occurred. Look at the beauty, right? It's a beautiful thing. I've risen above. And the same thing will happen with you and Steph. And I expect to be here. I expect to be here and I'll do my best. But, and I really want to be here. But if anything does happen, you have to understand. That's the voice of the late Harvey Konsky, a former Toronto personal injury lawyer who died of cancer in June of 2020. Harvey Konsky was 67 years old. And the recording of his voice comes from his son Mitchell Konsky, a Toronto journalist who spent two months sitting by his dying father's bedside while also being one of his father's personal caregivers. Harvey Konsky's death might have gone unnoticed by the wider world, especially because it happened during those first scary months of the COVID pandemic when everyone was in lockdown. But his son Mitchell decided to use his journalism skills to help him cope the best way he knew how. He recorded their conversations, the underwear dance parties, his sister's engagement, his own virtual graduation from university, and the anguish and the grief, and yes, also the joys, all of it. He interviewed his father every day, sort of like the book Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Alboim that came out in 1997. The result is a powerfully moving book called Home Safe, and it doesn't shy away from the messy stuff. He writes about his father's collapse onto the bathroom floor with what he assumed was just bleeding hemorrhoids or an anal fissure to the fateful drive to the hospital emergency department where, because it was COVID, nobody else could go in with him and the family sat waiting for hours for the news. And the diagnosis, which was stark, a rare form of anal cancer called mucosal melanoma. It was terminal. Doctors gave Harvey two months to live. Mitchell Konsky is now discovering his book isn't only keeping Harvey's memory alive, it's also giving helpful guidance for other people caring for the dying. You know, I, I think a lot of the time when you're losing someone, uh, you, you tend to fixate on the eventual outcome, but it's harder to isolate the individual moments and, and find gratitude in that and presence and togetherness. I'm Ellen Bessner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, June the 15th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. We've been saving this interview for today, just ahead of Father's Day. We taped it recently before a live audience at the Limoud Toronto Festival. Special thanks to Limoud's Ben Freeman Collins for the audio and to our producer Zach Kaufman for the edit. Father's Day is coming up on June 18th, and it's always going to be a bittersweet day for Mitch Konsky. It's the week of his father's third Yortzeit, because June 15th is the actual date this year of the Yortzeit. I, too, lost my father. It's coming up on four and a half years now. Of course, the situation was a lot different, but lots of similarities. My dad was also a lawyer, and he lost his mother to cancer young. He also had a family full of relatives who were doctors and nurses to help guide his medical odyssey, but unlike Harvey, I was in my 50s when he passed, and he was 83. And he'd been battling prostate cancer for years, and eventually it metastasized. You are just a kid. But I still speak to him all the time. He's never gone from my heart. So this Father's Day episode is dedicated to Harvey Konsky and my dad, Morton Besner, and to all of yours, Zichronam Livracha. Mitch Konsky joins me now as we're doing this taping in front of a live audience at the Limoud Toronto 2023 conference. 
Welcome, Mitch, to the CJN Daily. Thank you so much for having me, Ellen. Okay, we played a bit of audio right at the beginning of the show. That was your father's voice. Could you tell us when you recorded it and a little bit about the circumstances of the tape and what it means? That speech, we actually were able to play it after my dad was buried. So in a way, it was like he gave a, a speech in his own shiva. And the reason that he was able to do that is because I... I interviewed him throughout his decline. So my dad was was diagnosed with advanced stage cancer during the onset of the pandemic. So this was back when everybody thought it was gonna be a two week vacation and we we're gonna to return to, to school and work. And I'm a journalist. And so around that time, I abandoned my Toronto apartment and I moved into my parents' house and I leaned into my journalistic intuitions and I tried to capture his essence. So I audio recorded him throughout his decline and I captured all these emotional confessions and life talks and final goodbyes. And it was this beautiful time of pajama dance parties and binge watching Tiger King and all of these amazing moments. And so that speech was uh, what we called the transmission speech. And it was a, a defining moment for his cancer journey uh, that offered sort of the catalyst for this book because as he talks about, he speaks about his parents, and he lost both of his parents when he was really young. He actually grew up in a small town called Madwa, Ontario. It's half an hour east from North Bay, and there's a little movie theater there, which is why there's popcorn on the cover of my book. And he never really spoke about his parents until he was dying himself. Um, so in confronting his own grief, he was also able to confront his own mortality. And he spoke about the transmission and, and how love can be channeled from family to family, from, from parents to child, and... Uh, and it was a moment that, that we're really grateful that we have, and, and it sort of uh, it tied into what became the catalyst for my book. Since your book was published by Dundurn this fall, I bet you lots of people have come up to you and have like shared, like I just did, shared my own thing. Uh, how, how has that been to receive that for you when you're still dealing with your own stuff? It's, it's been surreal. It actually, it, it started when I wrote this piece in the Globe and Mail. It was an essay, and it was a really simple essay about my father waiting for me at the top of the stairs. And right after that was published, I got a wave of responses from people throughout Canada and beyond who were dealing with similar cancer battles with family members or had previously dealt with, with cancer battles. And I think one of the, 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 the leading factors in all of it was just the unremarkability of it and how, um, and, and I don't mean that in the sense of it being uh, insignificant, uh, but I just mean that it was so familiar to so many people and, and it was such a universal experience. And I think that that is sort of, I think when you're experiencing grief, it's very easy to feel like an anomaly and that you're separate from everybody else. But when stories are, are shared about, you know, people that you lost, there's this universality that is, is really apparent. And I think that that's what uh, the responses have really shown more than anything. But you're not a trained professional like your mom is. Right. right? And, and so, you know, how do you handle when people dump their own emotional stuff? like I just did right. on you and kind of not even, I didn't mean to hijack it, but it kind of is. Right. It's, I mean, it's such a, I think it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when people are willing to share that stuff. Uh, I think that's, you know, there's so much grief that, that people have experienced, especially in the last few years and in the last 10 years, it doesn't really matter because the reality is that there's so many conversations that people wish that they could have had with their father who's died or, or any parents. Uh, and I think that's, people have responded to this book almost vicariously, where they have, they have almost felt like they wished that they had the opportunity to, I see that you're, you're getting emotional right now, and I understand why, because a lot of people feel that they could have asked their father a lot of questions, and I think that that's what, I'm not trying to prescribe anything with this book, and I'm not qualified to do that. 
Um, one of the things in my story is that there's a lot of healthcare workers within my immediate family. And one of the things that I'm advocating for is to lean into these dialogues about death, is to lean into these conversations before it's too late, because the unfortunate reality is that for a lot of us, it could get to that point. Okay, let's talk a bit about this beautiful graphic and the meaning of the title of your book, Home Safe. Before you answer, many of you maybe have heard of the book Tuesdays with Maury or heard about it, so I know your book's been compared a lot with that. You didn't have that much time with your dad, but you kind of did the Tuesdays with Harvey thing, except it was 24-7. Yeah. So tell me about Home Safe. So I, the, the Globe and Mail essay that I mentioned, which ultimately snowballed into this book, it was a very simple story about how my father would always wait for me at the top of the stairs to make sure I was home safe, no matter how old I got. So this was even when I moved... You know, okay, so you're university. like 28 now? I'm like 28 now, but and like he was still, you know, it, it never mattered if I was 16, 17, or 18, whether I would return from a party or back from a bar or just visiting from university, he would always wait at the top of the stairs in his underwear to make sure that I was home safe. And one night, uh, shortly after his first cancer treatment, he'd been struggling to get out of bed and, you know, walk down the, uh, walk across the hall. And every single day I would walk with him and his muscles would atrophy and he was getting weaker and it was more and he was more fatigued by the day and I remember one night after I went on a walk with my friends just sort of processing his diagnosis and coming to terms with it marijuana was involved Mar marijuana was definitely involved uh I didn't know how how pg we should keep this but absolutely and well, your book doesn't shy away from yeah, all it, the stuff so exactly let's put it right, right. so you know we shared a couple joints we kept our six legal. feet apart it's legal it was yeah it is it's legal. legal exactly so you know uh uh, but my grandmother listens to this, so... <laughs> okay, I'll edit yeah. that up. Sorry. No, no, Sorry it's, totally, about me. it's totally okay. Uh, she read the book, too. She knows. Um, but so after I came back from this marijuana-infused walk, I remember really hoping to see him waiting for me at the top of the stairs. And, you know, there I am, and, I, and there's this third step on the staircase that always creaks, and I remember I stepped on it a little bit deliberately because I wanted him to hear me coming upstairs. And sure enough, I go upstairs... And he's not there. And that's not surprising because he just had his, his latest treatment and he was unable to even leave his bed. I go across the hall. I go into my room. I get under the covers. And I sort of feel my emotions competing. You know, I, 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 a part of me feels thankful for the fact that I had him all those years. And a part of me felt horrified that I was never going to have someone that cared for me that way again. And just as I'm having these thoughts, I see a bar of light glow at the bottom of my door. And I think, okay, you know, my dad has been getting up to go to the washroom almost every half an hour. And it was actually my sister's turn to check on him at this point. And uh, I thought, you know what, maybe I'll go anyways. I'll, I'll, it would be a small demonstration of the care he always served, as I write in my essay. And I remember I, I threw off the covers, and I, I walked towards my door, and I opened it. And there's my dad standing in his boxers. Uh, and he says, I just wanted to make sure you were home safe. So that is, the, that is sort of the origins of, of my book. It's a lot of moments like that, these, these in-between glimmers of return, that uh, moments like that is what Home Safe is all about. You said earlier that it was moments of joy. You yeah. called it joy, which I think people who are in the middle of caregiving might find strange. But what kind of joy is it when you're in a caregiving terminal situation? Well, okay, yeah, so my dad loved dancing in his underwear. Uh, there's a chapter in my book called Dads Who Dance in Underwear Society, and he would, he would shake his butt to Shakira. He would, uh, he would you know, rock to the tunes of Van Morrison or, or Elvis Presley or any musician that inspired the mood. And I think that what's, 
what amazed me is that that dancing never really stopped even after his his uh, terminal diagnosis. He was he was dancing around the house. He was trying to squeeze as much life as possible. And I think the joy that my book really tries to capture is those moments of dancing. It's the pajama dance parties that we had. And, you know, my dad, he was a self-proclaimed comedian. Uh, most people wouldn't uh, necessarily uh, ascribe to that. But I think that he, he thought he was funny. And he definitely was funnier towards the end. And, and we loved him. And uh, his jokes genuinely were were having my whole family erupt into laughter. And uh, he told one joke about how he looked up something called a, uh, a, an ancient Egyptian retainer sacrifice. And he learned that uh, pharaohs, when they knew that they were going to die, they arranged to have all their servants uh, slaughtered so they can join them in the afterlife. And, uh, you know, my whole family's taking care of them. And he explains this to us. And he takes a sip of water and he says, you guys might want to watch your backs. So... <laughs> Uh, he had a singular sense of humor that I, I, I feared. I remember, I remember laughing as he told these jokes, and I remember thinking that I don't know if I'm going to find someone with, with that sense of humor again. So it was, it was bittersweet, but it was moments like that that made this experience a little bit easier to bear. You did talk about one thing which really struck me, and I listened to this song. It's called Elias by, Elias. Dis, by Dispatch. Uh, and Highly recommend. It, it's, an, it's an incredible song. And it became me and my dad's favorite road trip song. And so we would listen to it all the time. And I remember, and I write about this, there's a specific moment after I, I pick him up from, from Sunnybrook. It was one of his oncology <laughs> sessions. This was, this was right when we were told that this is, this is not going to be simple. Like this is a, an, an extremely complicated subset of melanoma with, with very little medical literature on this. And, and you know, the chances of survival were practically non-existent. And right after my dad hearing this, we got into the car and we're driving, we're driving away from Sunnybrook and that silence sort of settles. And I play the song just to sort of distract us for a moment. And my dad starts tapping the glove compartment. Uh, and he starts humming along, along to the song. I start humming. And the next thing you know, despite the fact that we were just told that he's dying and there's not much we can do, there we were both belting out the lyrics to our favorite song. And I think that that was another Big Mac moment. And I think that that's the moment that you hang on to. Those are the moments you hang on to the most when you know that, that hope is running out and that there's not much else you can do. I know if you've been noticing, you make, there's a lot of people here who have lost parents and been caregivers and, and everybody's crying too. Um, <laughs> being a caregiver is obviously a, a choice, but also a physical and an emotional journey, draining that you and your family went through. What advice do you have for folks who are considering doing it at home? I, I really, I, I know everybody is different and some people would prefer in a, a more official facility and, and then also every cancer case is different. So sometimes it just, it needs to be in, in a, a more hospitalized situation. But I think that the value of home hospices is so profound because you're able to be there for the most intimate and vulnerable moments of the person that you're losing for, the, for their life. I am grateful that I got to return the favor. You know what I mean? I think that uh, too often we look at our parents as just parents and, and we forget that the roles could reverse. And there's this beauty that comes with 
with bringing them a glass of water, checking on them, tucking them in at night, making sure that they are home safe. And, uh, and I think that that's what, that's what home hospices offer. That's what they allow us to do. And I couldn't recommend it enough to people that are capable of doing it. Thank you for saying that. In the Jewish tradition, I'm sure you've been told this, that when you do a favor for someone that cannot reciprocate, especially in a grave or a funeral situation, right? Or, and you also did kibbutz um, as well. How does your care for your father and your book, especially your book, fit into any of those categories? I've always, I've always been a writer, and I think I'm, I'm horrified of... I'm horrified of losing people's essence, I, I guess, and I think that for a lot of writers, it's, it's the process of immortalization and, and holding on to the people and, and the ideas and the thoughts that you might, you might lose. Uh, so in terms of it being a... A tzedakah or, or you know, a, a, a good deed, I, I did it more out of, out of my own urgency. You know, I think that I needed to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad that I'm able to spread these positive messages. But to be honest, it was, it was more for me. It was more for my family. It was more for the idea that I want my, my kids, my dad's future grandchildren, to know who he was. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if it was totally altruistic. I believe that there's definitely some altruism in there, but it was it more derived from the urgency to try to capture what I knew I was losing. Do you still talk to your dad? I and do. And how often? I do. You know, the beautiful thing about having all those audio recordings is the fact that I'm able to hear responses in a way. So I listen to his, re- I listen to his uh, recordings often. I just previously listened to his transmission speech on the way over here. And I think... It, it gives me exactly what I need to hear at the right times. And I, I speak to him in the car. I speak to him on walks. And, and sometimes I don't even need to speak to him. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I just sort of, I feel him talking to me in ways that you are beyond words. And yeah, but it, he's, I, I feel his presence often. We have to end it here. The book is going to also do a tzedakah as well with some of the royalties, and maybe you can just explain to the audience a bit about where this goes next. A portion of the royalties will go towards cancer research at Sunnybrook Hospital. But my launch and what the, you know, the, the mission that I'm really standing behind is this camp called Camp Aaron, and it's a bereavement camp for kids between the ages of 4 and 16 that have all lost a parent or a sibling. One of the things that I tried to tackle in this book is the fact that my dad lost both of his parents when he was really young. He lost his mother when he was 15, and his father when he was 22. And, you know, he never was really offered the space to speak about his grief and to speak about all the trauma that that entailed. This camp is that space for these kids. This camp is a place that's run by social workers and and grief counselors and qualified uh, professionals that can really walk these kids through these complicated feelings of grief. But in the context of a summer camp where they get to, you know, climb the rock climbing wall and, and paddle canoes and and, and roll around in dirt. So it's, it's a beautiful camp. It's called Camp Aaron. There's one in every major city that has a major league baseball team, but I'm collecting funds for Camp Aaron Toronto. And we'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here with us on the CJN Daily. It was really an honor to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia, integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Ala Gamolka of Toronto. And we put the links in our show notes to learn more about the book Home Safe, where you can buy it, and more about Mitch's charity, Camp Aaron. Thanks for listening. 
no one can live forever, and I'm hoping to I'm hoping to be there. Don't ever say, oh, Dad coughed out, and Dad uh, didn't mm -hmm. want to be there. Of course I do. I want to be there for you forever. I want to enjoy the things that you enjoy. I want to enjoy children and grandchildren and your accomplishments and be there, everything. And I'm hoping I will be. But if anything happens where I'm not, you must understand. You saw the transmission between me and you. What about the transmission between me and my parents? It was a beautiful thing. Never knew them but they transmit it to me, and I'm transmitting to you, and you'll transmit to them.